Okay, today's class is dedicated by the Saroura, Dweck, and Lignano families in memory of their mother and sister, Marjorie Saroura Magalit Bajamila Shalom, known by a lot of people as uh, Grandma Margie or Auntie Margie, and she touched many people's lives beyond her own family. She had like a mother to a lot of people and was very close to a lot of people, raised a beautiful family, passed away a few months ago. A few months ago, um, well over 90 years old, and she cared about people, she loved people, she educated them about the heritage and tradition of our community and loved so much when those people, friends and family, would come and visit her and sat and talked with her. And again, she's so deeply remembered and has such a wonderful family, so many fantastic children and grandchildren, that many of which we are close with. So it's an honor for today's words to be dedicated in memory of Grandma Maji, who hopefully her memory is a lot stronger than just one class of Torah. Of course, it's a legacy and a family, and you know, over, it's unbelievable how much could be accomplished over a bladder of sambusak. You know, sometimes people think, oh, you say sambusak, you're like insulting women today. But the truth is, it's such a powerful thing, the safa in the home and the heritage that a mom and a grandmother can infuse in a family through simple things. And as our world gets more sophisticated, the sad thing is that sometimes we lose the appreciation for the beauty of simplicity and the power and the richness that's involved in simplicity. And I think Mahmoudi very much had all of that and she built so much on all of that. So it's an honor for today's words to be dedicated in her memory. Okay. So far that noise is so far. What is that? Okay, so about two months ago, we gave a class, I forgot what we titled it, it might have been titled Talking Heads. And it was about all of the chatter and the different voices people listen to in media, social media, the internet, and so on. And the point of my class that day was that we don't appreciate enough the richness of words. And how words are you, which words to listen to, or which words not to listen to. And towards the end of the class, I said that there's a topic I would never give a class on. Well, I don't think I'd ever give a class on because no one would care about this topic. And that was foul language. And I said the reason why I wouldn't plan on giving a class on foul language is because the truth is so many people use foul language. So many people. And I don't really have an angle on it. That means I could have an angle on why you should pray, it makes you closer to Hashem, why you should learn, how you should keep Shabbat, the value of having a powerful marriage or raising children the right way. I could give you an angle on almost everything that there is associated in our religion. But it's very hard to give you an angle on foul language. Because the reality is, you know, I can tell you that if you use the wrong words, people won't respect you and they won't treat you with dignity. It's not true. Some of the most respected people, dignified people in the country today use any word. And it doesn't affect their reputation. Men or women. So I said, I don't really feel like giving a class on the topic because I don't really have that much of an angle on the topic. But sure enough, within the next two weeks, a lot of people sent me text messages that said, oh, you have to give a class on that topic. You have to give a class on that topic. I said, no, so I don't want to shamble people. I remember a lot of people that I'm close to use foul language, like they're going to think I'm pointing it towards them, maybe 
But again, after a lot of persuasion, we decided to give a class on that topic. Are you ready for the class on this topic? Don't even shake your head, because it might say something about you. So just don't move. And my opening questions are this. Is it so bad? Is it so bad to use a colored word? I'm just trying to make a point that obviously don't mean it. They obviously don't know, I might not even know the definition. I'm just using a word to make a point that maybe gives a little more to whatever I'm saying. It makes people hear me a little louder. Maybe it makes me sound a little more relevant. Why isn't that big a deal? My next question is, is if it does matter, why do so many people not care about it? Why do so many people really not care about the words you use? And there's so many people, so, so many people, like I said, really good people. You know, you can't be a good person and murder somebody. You can't be a good person and slap people in the face. You can't even be a good person and shamble someone in public again and again. You just can't, you're not counted as a good person if you do those things. The reality is, you can very much be considered a very good person and use foul language all the time. So it's not like those other things I just listed. Because if you saw me punch someone in public or embarrass somebody in public, you would say, not a good guy. But if you saw me at a, commit, a meeting in my office with 20 people and I used a few strong words, you would think nothing of it. Maybe me, but rabbi. But other than that, you would think nothing of it. So if it matters, why do so many people not care? My third question is, if I'm a regular person, and I'm trying to be a rabbi or anything, how do I improve? And I want to make something clear. It's very likely that half the people in this room either use this language or are very close to people in their family that use this language. And then there's probably another half of the people in this room that would never use the language and don't know anybody that does. So this class is gonna be for those people who very intimately know people that do use the language, and also for people who never would in the world, I still think that there's a lot that you can learn and a lot that we can learn together on this topic, even if you say, oh, I would never say those words. I understand. There's still a lot that we can learn about our Torah's perspective. And again, the biggest comment that I get from people about this topic is everybody does it. Like everybody. For some reason, there's a lot of phones on today. Can we please turn off our phones if it's possible? Because we are full five rings already. The biggest comment I get from people is everybody does it. And a lot of areas, it really does feel like everybody does it. Like everybody does it. Like anybody around you, they all do. In fact, I remember. The first time I heard a girl use a word like this. Because once upon a time, men would, but women wouldn't. And I remember I was in my office. It was 90 days, I don't know exactly where it was. Maybe it was 10, 12, 13 years ago. And there were a few people doing a project outside. They didn't know I was in the office. It was on the side. They didn't know anyone was around. And casually, I heard a girl just drop one of those words, a good girl. And I remember saying, one second, that was like nothing happened. I, once upon a time, used to think 
that for a girl to use a word like that is not appropriate. Why was it, like, there's six people around here, very regular, very good people, like, very good people. It was nothing. And sure enough, fast forward, there's many women who, 20 years ago, their mothers would never use these words, but today they would. So let's first look, as we're only a few days away from the Shabbat, let's look at what we're supposed to be thinking about this week, and then we'll come back to this topic. I don't know if people are uneasy here right now, I'm nervous, not sure what I'm gonna say. No one's even reacting. So the Gemara Masechet Shabbat says this, one day you're gonna stand before God and you're gonna be judged, after 120. And here are the first four questions that they're going to ask you. Question number one is, did you work honestly? Question number two that they're going to ask you is, did you designate time to study Torah consistently? Question number three is, did you work to try and have children? And question number four is, did you hope for the coming of Mashiach? You got the four questions. Work honestly, designate time for Torah, try to have children, and work and hope for the coming of Mashiach. Why is hoping for the coming of Mashiach so important? Why do I need a hope for Mashiach? Why are we spending this week having dairy, which is sometimes feels harder than fasting? Why are we in this where we have an Ashkenazim are much, much worse than not showers this week, no clean clothing, no new clothing, so many things they don't do. Why are we doing all of this? Because we have to hope and wait for the coming Mashiach. Why is that so important and so critical to being a Jew? In fact, the Smach, one of the rabbis who count the mitzvot says that the mitzvah of hoping for the Mashiach is included in Anochi Hashem Elokecha Hashem Yotzitich HaMeim Sasayim I am Hashem your God that took you out of Egypt and therefore that redeemed you once and therefore you have to believe Amen Hashem, is there any sign in this? Okay No, 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 I'll just yell Yes, okay I am Hashem, your God, that took you out of Egypt, and you are... It's actually easier without having to hold that thing, so I'm good. It, I am Hashem, your God, that took you out of Egypt, and you believe that just like I redeemed you in the past, I'm going to redeem you in the future, and that's a critical part of our Jewish beliefs. Hoping for the coming of Mashiach. Why is it so important? I'll show you again how important it is. In the time of David HaMelech, towards the end of his life, the Pesukim say in Shemuel that many, many people passed away in plague. And the Midrash writes, what was it that caused this? And here's what the Midrash says, because in the time of Mashiach, excuse me, in the time of David HaMelech, they didn't hope enough and care enough and pray enough for the Beit HaMikdash to be built. And since they didn't hope enough for the Beit HaMikdash to be built, that's what, eventually what happened, only when his son Shalom HaMelech would build it. Since they didn't care enough for the Beit HaMikdash to be built, that's why there was so much catastrophe in his lifetime. Because they didn't deeply hope for the building of the Beit HaMikdash, or deeply hope, so to speak, for the coming of the Mashiach, the same concept that we're telling you. The Ramban says that during those days, as the Pesukim say, that during those days the Adon was going from place to place. 
says that Ramban, the people were looking around and you're watching, I don't have no home and it doesn't bother you. It's such an important thing, hoping for the coming of Mashiach, which again, so far doesn't look like there's anything to do with our class, but in a minute it will. It's such an important thing that if you look in your Amidah, how many, how many blessings are there, how many requests are there for your children? Anyone know how many? The answer is zero. How many requests are there for your income? How many berachot are there about your income? Anyone know? There's one. How many berachot are there for your health? There's one. How many berachot are there for your wisdom? There's one. How many blessings are there for the building of the Beit HaMikdash? Five. And even a little bit more than five. Five full blessings that are totally about the coming of the Mashiach and the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash. Why do we say the Kuzari? You know why our Beit HaMikdash is still not yet built? He says, because when you say those five berachot, when we say those five berachot, we go through them so quickly. Yet Rafa'enu, we stop and concentrate. Shema Kolenu, we have a lot of kavanah. But the berachot, etzemach tavir, bonei Yerushalayim, we zip right through them. Because we don't deeply care that much about the coming of Mashiach. Says of Yaakov Emnin. Powerful statement. He says, the reason throughout the last few hundred years we have so many Jews who've gone off the path, he says, is because we didn't care enough about the Mashiach and about the Beit HaMikdash. And every phrase I just told you, from the dying in the time of David HaMelech to the Aron moving around, to our five Berachot, I don't think anyone here has any understanding and myself also struggle with. Why does this matter so much? Why do I care so much that you should care about the coming of Mashiach? Why does it matter so much that we should hope and yearn for the Beit HaMikdash to be rebuilt? Why are the four, first four questions you're going to be asked after 120, why is Mashiach coming and hoping why is that so critical? Why is that such a big deal? Why is that so important? Why does any of this matter? So we're going to answer this question. If you are a mom, you're very familiar with a excuse or leverage that people use or your children use all the time. And you'll shake your head if it's true. Have you ever had your child tell you, everybody, everybody, or nobody, my, you know, you should call it a show. Everybody's going, Ma. Why are you holding me back? But you know, you have, you have you should be home by one o'clock in the morning. Nobody comes home at one o'clock in the morning. Have you ever heard everybody and nobody? Yes. If you're involved again, I'm involved in school with people. Everybody and nobody here all the time. But being involved in the community, I started to realize something that a lot of times. The everybody's contradict each other. What I mean is, you'll hear one person say, everybody goes to class in the summer. You'll hear another person say, nobody goes to class in the summer. Which one is right? Everybody in the community keeps Shabbat today. Nobody keeps Shabbat these days. Everybody's on their phone on Saturday afternoons. Nobody's on their phone on Saturday afternoons. Everybody has great marriages these days. Nobody has a good marriage today. Have you ever heard these contradictions? 
Everybody's playing and praying in houses this summer. Everybody's back in shul this summer. Which one is right? Which one is true? Does every kid go to class at night? Or do no kids go to class at night? Which one is right? Have you ever heard conflicting everybody's? About keeping Shabbat, I've heard it the most. Everybody eats kosher these days. Nobody eats kosher these days. Which one is true? The answer is both are true. It depends who's your everybody. If your everybody are all on drugs, that's your everybody. There's another person who his 20 friends all go to class at night, so his everybody go to class. There are some circles that everybody keeps Shabbat, and there are other circles and other areas where nobody keeps Shabbat properly. The everybody and the nobody is not a contradiction. It just depends who your everybody is. Because you could say everybody and you mean one thing, and you could say everybody and mean something totally different. Where's your everybody? Who's your crew? Who are the people that are around you? Who are the people that you associate with? Who are the people that you measure yourself by? You see, all of those phrases about caring, about the coming of Mashiach, means that you associate with people that care deeply about spirituality. It's not specifically about a building or about a man coming on a donkey one day. It's about do you have a deep caring about spirituality? Is that your everybody? Or is your, are you a part of the everybody that doesn't really care about spirituality? It just cares about the here and now. Who is your everybody? Because whatever cabin, wherever you are, you can find an everybody with you. You could find everybody goes away in the summer. You ever hear that? Everybody goes away in the summer. And then there's nobody goes away in the summer. Everybody's staying in Brooklyn this year. Nobody's staying in Brooklyn this year. Both are true. It just depends who is your everybody. Is your everybody spiritual people or is your everybody not spiritual people? The words you use define who your everybody is. The words you use tell us which crew you're in. Because in some circles, words like that would make you completely out of the circle. And other circles, words like that include you in the circle. Are you in the spiritual group? People that are caring about Torah, Mitzvot, spirituality, rebuilding the Beit HaMikdash, Hashem, Mashiach. Do you really care about those things? If you're in those categories, then of course you're keeping Shabbat, and of course you're kosher, and of course you're learning Torah, and of course you're going to shul, and of course you don't use those words. But if you're in everybody that doesn't care about those things that much, you care a little bit, but not that much, then of course you do use those words. Who is your everybody? See, the problem is that for those people who everybody uses those words, many times we're associating a lot with society. Because out there in society, everybody uses the words. Everybody, every senator, every congressman, every president, vice president, governor, everybody uses those words. The question is, do you associate with that? 
is that part of your everybody. And the truth is, I read a book recently that I should not have read because it had some things in there that weren't as clean as it should have been. And, but it opened me up to realizing something. Society is the way they are because they have a completely different background than you. It was a book about some famous person in America and he talks about his youth. I don't know if it was trailer park, but similar to trailer park type of youth. And I'm realizing like, this guy grew up. Way most of America, a lot of America grows up. Broken homes, even broken three times over homes. No, you know, mother and father that have no level of role modeling at all. There's no, I don't even know if their parents were married, are married, still married. And I say to myself, you know what? This is what a lot of America experienced. So if I see someone from society, from the street, who uses those words, I don't blame him. Because I don't blame you if you use those words if you never saw the inside of a shul. I don't blame you if you use those words if you don't come from a strong home. I don't blame you if you use those words if you never opened the Gemara in your life. I don't blame you if you use those words if you never touched the Sefer Torah. I don't blame you if you use those words if you never prayed in Eli and Yom Kippur. I don't blame you if you use those words if you never shook the hands of a rabbi. I don't blame you if you use those words if you never touched a kotel in your life. I don't blame you if you use those words if you never saw Gadol Hador in your whole life. I don't blame you. So when the rest of society use those words, I don't blame them. That's the everybody, that's their parents everybody, that's their grandparents everybody. That's what the whole society they're seeing. But you and I, we're exposed to a lot different. We've seen a shul and seen a gemara and seen a pasuk and touched the sefer Torah and have spoken to rabbis and gone to Eretz Yisrael and touched the kotel. We've seen so much more. Why are we associating with that everybody? Tell you a cute little story. On, on Sunday, there was a big tournament. So I went to the tournament, basketball too. I went at the end for the finals against our school, whatever. So I go, the last game, come to the court. There's a hundred zillion kids there. And they say, okay, Rabbi, make a speech. So I wasn't really playing. They gave me the mic. I said, you know what? I'm going to say a quick bar Torah, 90 second speech. Kids' attention span at 8.30 at night when they're about to play the finals, all sitting around. It's not really, but I said I gave a 90-second speech. And they had a few photographers, like, videoing the speech. A few African-American men videoing the speech. They put the picture on Instagram. You can see the picture of me. You can see the picture of the photographer videoing the speech. Good. Then I watched the game finally. Whatever, half hour. After the game is over, the photographer comes over to me. And he says, Rabbi. I never in my life heard a sermon like that. How do I get your sermons online? This African-American man. How do I get your sermons online? I want to watch them all. So I sat there with on his phone typing in my name and the, these video cameras that are right here and the, their website and how to get it and how to do it. He says, well, thank you so much, Rabbi. I said, one second. It was 90 seconds. I can promise you it wasn't anything special. But then you know what? As I'm looking at the man, my heart went out to him. Because you know what I said? He never ever heard words of inspiration. He never was inside of a shul. Never heard any rabbi speak. 
I have no idea what it means. He looked like such a wonderful, innocent man. But he has no background. So if someone out there in society uses certain words and there everybody uses those words, I get it. I get it. I don't blame them one bit. Not even a little bit. I don't blame them. But you and me, we've been exposed to so much more. Our everybody is supposed to be different. We're supposed to have a heart and a soul that deeply yearns for things like the Beth HaMikdash and Mashiach and the rebuilding of our spirituality and our Kiddushah. We're supposed to think about those things and yearn for those things. And if we do, we don't use words like this. There's a Gemara Masechet Pesachim that talks about foul language. It's a page, the beginning of Masechet, that talks about foul language. What's unique about this Gemara is that when it talks about the words to avoid, they're words that are totally clean. Like one word that it says the Torah avoids in a few places is the word Tameh. Another word the Gemara says that it voids in some places is the word Laila, which means night. Nothing wrong at all with the word Laila. Nothing wrong at all with the word Tameh. So what does it mean that these words that we're avoiding, and every story that the Gemara gives for a full page, every story talks about words to avoid that are not a big deal at all. No way would anyone say that they're foul language. So what's the Gemara saying? What the Gemara is saying is that if you're in the head of this everybody, you're looking for more and more and more refinement. It's a very, very refined, that even the word nighttime has a little negativity associated with it, and if I have to avoid it, if I could avoid it, I will. That's how refined my language is. My language is so specific and so holy that even the word Tameh I would avoid. The Gemara tells this story. Tell your story. The Gemara says that there were three Kohanim and they were dividing up the Lechem HaPanim, which is the bread in the Beit HaMikdash that goes from the Kohanim. And one of them said, can you give me a portion the size of a bean? The other one said, can you give me a portion the size of an olive? And the third one said, can you give me a portion the size of a lizard's tail? The Gemara says, the rabbi said, bean I understand, olive I understand, lizard's tail, that's a strange term. That's not a kosher animal, that's a strange term. They investigated and found out that he doesn't really come from a kosher family in his background. Now, God forbid, I'm not implying at all that someone who uses the wrong words means that there's anything unkosher about them. God forbid, I'm not implying that even a little bit. But what I am saying is, is that there's a refinement that we're looking for that our everybody has. Even though I know that there's a whole everybody out there that doesn't even know what you're talking about. The Gemara even says one phrase, that the pasuk, when it talks about a man, it says he rides the horse. Rochev, he's riding a horse. 
For a woman, it's not appropriate to say the term riding a horse, so it just says she sits on the horse. And then the Gemara says, but what do you mean? There are other places where it says she rides the horse. Gemara says in those places it had to say it because she was very fearful, so it had to say she's riding the horse. But when it could avoid it, it avoids the phrase of a woman riding a horse because somehow there's a little bit of immodesty and lack of refinement in that phrase. And if everything I'm saying doesn't make any sense to you, I'll try to explain it with this analogy. What do you think is the best business to be in in our community today? What do you think is the best business to be in our community? I'll tell you what I think. Any person who could be in those businesses where they have like the high-end shop foods. You know what I'm saying? Like there's salads and then there's certain salads that you'll pay anything for that salad. There's sushi and then there's special sushi that you you pay double for the sushi. There's a slush puppy or whatever, and then there's certain ones that are like, wow, I'll pay $23 for that. There's ices in a cup, and then there's certain types of pops that are invaluable. There, if you could be in that industry, you could literally charge every, anything you want. The more you charge, the better. Like it's a problem if you don't charge. If you sell meat and you charge regular prices, but if you charge like triple the amount and your roast is $200, wow, you can't, they can't hold them on the shelves. High-end foods seems to be the number one item. People say, you know, you go, you buy fruit, buying fruit used to be a thing. I don't know, you go to Acme, you buy fruit. Now fruit is an event to buy fruit. It's a big deal, and where you got it from, and just walking into your house with the bags that say the name of that store, say a whole different status about you. Is that correct? Everything I just said is correct? Good. So I want to ask you a question. Let me go to one of these salad people and tell them, why do you have to put it in the, in the, the way you put it in the, the dressings in a special container, and the way you put the little nuts on the side and the cranberries, and why don't you just take them from, go to the store, go to ShopRite, dump some cranberries, get some salad, put some nuts, put something in a plastic container, put it in there, you'll save five, six dollars on the overhead. Why not? They would look at me like I fell from the moon. Are you crazy? It has to be this type of lettuce. It has to be that type in that container because it has a whole different experience. What's the difference? Lettuce is lettuce. No, lettuce is not lettuce. There's a big difference between lettuce and lettuce. Buying a mango and a mango, it's not the same thing. There's mango and then there's mango. It's a whole different story. It really is. It's a whole different thing. You could buy sushi, no, no, but when the fish swam in Norway, it's a whole different fish. Why? It doesn't look that different, it doesn't sound that different, than smell. The answer is because if you understand that what luxury eating looks like, those little things make the whole difference. The little difference in texture in the meat changes the whole game. The little extra ripeness in the watermelon makes it a completely different experience at 2.35 on a Saturday afternoon on my back porch overlooking the pool. It completely feels different. So the same thing is true with your words. The refinement of your words make your speech completely different. Even though it doesn't matter what's the difference, I use this word, that word's not that big of a difference. It's a humongous difference in who you are and in reflecting where your head is at. 
Rav Hanan Baraba says, Hakol yodim lama kala Everyone knows why someone gets married. But someone who speaks about it, if they had a positive decree of 70 years, could be turned over to bed, God forbid. Even though, what do you mean? It's something that everybody knows. But talking about it is inappropriate. In fact, in Magandavi Yeshiva, I give a class to ninth grade boys on halacha. And one of the topics we talk about is halachot of the restroom. And I say before, on the first class, before that topic, I said, boys, there are three rules. And I need you to know these three rules. And these three rules are more important than any law I'm going to teach you. Number one is no inappropriate language. Number two, no jokes. Because jokes are inappropriate. No jokes about this topic at all. And number three is no descriptive language. Because descriptive language in our Torah, even if it's technically clean words, descriptive language in our Torah is also inappropriate. And our Torah uses a lot of different words to avoid being descriptive about things that we shouldn't be descriptive about. So there are words that we use that are totally clean, that aren't in the foul language, they aren't in the soap in your mouth when you were 12 years old in 1973 type of category. Because right now in 2021, 12 year old used those words, there's no soap in the mouth. But in 1973, they did. There's no, it's not words like that. Even if it's not words that are that bad, just because they're descriptive, they're not refined. Just because they describe how someone is dressed, how so what someone's doing, where someone is, those things are not. Where the Gemara says, I'll avoid saying she's riding on the horse because it's a little too descriptive of her actions and, and how she's situated and how she's seating, then saying sitting. It's a little cleaner. That's the everybody that we live with. That's the world we associate with. That's the everybody that we want to be a part of. Because that everybody means that your life is completely dictated by refined spirituality. If you're in that everybody, then you miss the Mashiach. And you miss the fact that we have no Beit HaMikdash. And you care about those things intrinsically. So when the Gemara says that they didn't care about Mashiach, they didn't care about the Beit HaMikdash, or they didn't, they didn't worry enough, it means it says who they were. And it says about the life they were living. It's a lot deeper than just caring about a building being built. It means they care about Hashem. They think about Hashem. They worry about Hashem. They want to know how they could better serve Hashem. That everybody has a difference and a refinement in their language. And here's what bothers me most about this topic. There's a pasuk in Echa that says... All those that were trying to run after the Jewish people, all those that are pursuing her, they reached her, they reached him, they reached her during these three weeks. So literally it means that all the catastrophes, all the enemies somehow got us during these three weeks. And throughout history, this has been the most catastrophic time of our history, because very often the enemy has been able to get it, run after us and get us, God forbid, during this time. But it says, call everyone. What does it mean, everyone? 
The commentaries explain that Korot Fa'ah means even the weak ones, even the enemies that didn't have so much strength, that didn't have so much power, they were able to get us during this time. And here's what bothers me about foul language. That there are times when a person is put in a situation where it's really difficult. Maybe they just got fired. Maybe they just almost got hit by a, by a bike and they fell down and hurt their head and they got a cut and they're very emotional and a word comes out. I'm not saying I understand it, but on some level I understand it. But then there are a lot of times when there's no reason. You're not angry, you're not mad, you're not frustrated, everything's fine. You just want to say that you didn't like what you just ate, so you just say it tastes like, what? Why did you say that? You weren't, what, what? I understand sometimes when you're in a really tough spot and a word comes out, again, I don't understand, but I can hear it. But 80% of the time that those words come out, nothing inspired it, nothing triggered it, nothing happened. Why did you let the easy enemy get us? When the enemy is hard, when the challenge is difficult, it's one thing. But when it's easy, why do we fall even then? Why do we let the easy Yetzirah pull us down? Why do we let it pull us to something that really isn't a big deal? We didn't have a temptation. We weren't even trying to make a point. We weren't trying to be animated. We would just say, oh, you know what, I don't know, nothing. Why did it come out that time? Even the weakest enemies, the weakest Yetzirah gets us this time. Let's at least not let the weak ones get us. You're in a tough spot. People are yelling. You yell back. Again, I don't understand, but I understand. But when nothing like that is happening, you're just kidding around, and four foul words have to come out of your mouth in two sentences for no reason. And you know what's funny? People will say, not appropriate for children. What's the difference between children and an adult? Why is something not appropriate for a child, but appropriate for an adult? In fact, if you ask me, it's the opposite. Because the adult is smarter, more mature, more experienced, hopefully more spiritually developed, has grown more, has closer to Hashem. There's a higher expectation out of an adult. A kid, monkey, see monkey do, they said the wrong word, they didn't realize. And what kind of joke is it anyhow? You're gonna tell an eight-year-old not to say the word when he knows his 38-year-old father says it? Oh, he doesn't know, oh, he knows. Well, that, that makes any sense. As we grow, as we become holier, as we develop who our everybody is, as our mentality change, our refinement also has to change. I'll give you one more example. And there may be people in the room who disagree with me on this one. It's only my own pet peeve. I could be wrong. I'll tell you one of the things I really don't like. When I see a picture of three girls with their tongues out. Why is that a thing? What, what, you're trying to make your mark? I don't know, put your fingers up, two fingers up, eight fingers up, I don't know, do something. I don't know, why? What, what are you saying, what are you doing? And you can find the most refined girls who would never use any of the words I was talking about this whole class. But they're no problem with their tongue out. Now, why is that a thing? Now again, maybe I'm old, like maybe I'm officially now an older rabbi, and that's why I don't, understand it so well. But I don't understand it. I don't see anything refined in your tongue out. Our mindset and our mentality during this time is that we want to be part of the everybody that's rebuilding the Beit HaMikdash. 
We want to be part of the everybody that's hoping for Mashiach. We want to be the everybody that's spiritual. At least, let's get rid of the low-hanging fruit, the easy cases. Maybe you can't hold yourself back in a very tough time, but the easy ones. Why does the picture need that tongue? Why do you need to use that word? Why do you have to describe that situation so descriptively, inappropriately? Why do you have to describe the way the person was dressed and use those words that are not dirty words, but why do you have to use them? Because our Gemara is telling us that our mindset, our thought process is different. Let me end with a story about a person who I think had a refined mind. And what a refined mind looks like and a sensitive mind looks like. One of the great rabbis in Israel, and the Amelia Yeshiva's name was Rukhain Shmulevitz. Rukhain Shmulevitz, his daughter got married after World War II to another great rabbi, his name was Rukhain Before the wedding, Rukhain Shmulevitz called over his daughter and he said, I just want to tell you, when you're going to march down the aisle, Mommy and Daddy, me and your mother, are not going to march you down. His daughter's like, what? I'm getting married. Why won't you march me down? He says, I'll tell you what. Because your groom, your Hatan, or nothing. his parents and his family passed away in the Holocaust. So he's not going to have parents marching him down the aisle. So since he doesn't have parents marching him down, we don't want him to feel bad and miss his parents more than necessary. So because of that, we're not going to march you down. You'll have an aunt, uncle, a relative will march you down, not your parents. Now that's wild. That's not something that I don't know if even you're supposed to do. But it's a refined mind. It's when you live in a world where that's your everybody where that's how you think, and that's who you associate with, and those are the people you're around, then those things happen. So I know I gave a class about a topic that's very touchy, because I want to be clear, I know that most people I know are not great at this. I know this. And God forbid I'm not going to go and say, now I'm writing them off as bad people because they have this bad habit. God forbid I'm not doing that. I'm not going to judge them. I don't want God to judge me. I'd never judge anybody else in that way at all. All I'm trying to do here today is say, maybe we have to look at it a different way. Maybe just because the man on the street who never saw a rabbi, never touched a Seva Torah, never opened the Gemara, maybe because they use it doesn't mean anything about us. And maybe because they think that that's what everybody does, doesn't at all associate with our everybody. And maybe we have to think the way the Gemara, the way the Torah thinks, where it never says anything descriptive about something that could be deemed as inappropriate. So it doesn't just mean don't use bad words. It means don't even use semi-bad words. It means don't even use words that are somewhat descriptive about something. Don't craft that joke that you know implies something inappropriate. All of that is included in the refinement that we're looking for. Because as Jews, our job, because of the way we were raised and the nation we're a part of, our expectation is different. And it doesn't look the same as everybody out there. And we think differently. So all I'm asking you to do is tonight when you go home, have the conversation. On the Friday night table, have the conversation. And say maybe at least the easy times we can stop. 
Maybe we can think differently. Because if we think differently, then maybe we associate with a different everybody. And if we associate with that everybody, maybe very soon the Beit HaMikdash will be rebuilt. Thank you very much. Again, we'll see you on Sunday. Bezat Hashem.